You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you're God who longs to make yourself known to us, that you speak to us, that you reveal yourself to us. And we ask, Lord, now that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and through uh, my speaking, that we might know you, that we might love you, and that we might walk in your ways. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, keep your bulletin open to uh, the Colossians reading. That's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Uh, last week in the lectionary, we uh, read the beginning of verses of chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And there we read uh, that God's will for the Colossians, which was expressed through Paul's prayer for them, is that they would be in relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, they would become more and more like Jesus Christ, walking in a manner worthy of him and bearing fruit in every good work, living a life of worship in thankfulness to God. Now Paul, in these verses in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 23, Paul turns the focus squarely on to Jesus Christ. He wants us to know exactly who it is that we worship, that Jesus is the foundation and source of all things. He's the cause of all creation, he's the cause of the church, and he's the cause of our salvation. That's kind of the structure that I'm going with, and it's the structure of this uh, passage, that God, God, Jesus sorry, is the cause of all creation, he's the cause of the church, and he's the cause of our salvation. Look at verses 15 and 17 with me. Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who is Jesus Christ? He's not just a carpenter from Nazareth. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher or a moral example. He's so much more than that, isn't he? He is, in fact, the very image of the invisible God. He's the very essence and substance of God. Now, the word image here refers not only to the visible appearance of Jesus, but his characteristics as well. If you want to know who God is, what he is like, how he behaves, look at Jesus. He's also the firstborn of all creation. Now, when he says firstborn here, we're not talking about physical firstborn. To think that is to believe the Arian heresy. I don't want you to be heretics. He's not, Jesus is not a separate being from the Father but rather he is the eternally born son of the Father. Now this is something that's hard to comprehend, uh, even for me. Um, not that I'm super smart or anything like that. Um, that sounded really pretentious, even for me. Um, it's always been a triune God. There's always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and so the, firstborn, the word firstborn here is a metaphor referring to Jesus' priority and power. He is preeminent over all of creation. He's the heir of all of creation. He's the supreme ruler of, over all of creation, as the next verse will go on to point out. So what Paul means by firstborn of all creation is that Jesus, as God the Son, has 
all the rights and privileges of a firstborn son. He is the heir of the throne of creation. Just as my son, Jonathan, is heir to the week's family fortune, which he's going to be very disappointed about (laughs) later in life. Now, as members of a republic, this is going to be hard for you all to understand, isn't it? Um, So indulge me for a moment. The Queen of England has four children. Prince Charles, Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, and Princess Anne. But because Prince Charles is the firstborn son, he will become the next ruler of the Kingdom of England and the Commonwealth throughout the world. Then then it will be Charles' firstborn son, Prince William, not Prince Harry. Then William's firstborn son, Prince George. The line of succession follows the firstborn son. But more than just being a prince and an heir, through Jesus, all things were created. One commentator notes, all of God's creative work took place in terms of or in reference to Christ. Jesus stands over all of creation. It is all by him, through him, and for him. And we humans are included in that creation. We were created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. Our purpose and our meaning in life is connected to him, for we were created for him. This is because he is, as Paul says in verse 17, before all things. He's preeminent in everything, even our life and purpose. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the number one draft picked overall. But he doesn't rest after creation. He is holding all things together as well. He continues to work alongside the Father, sustaining all of life. Jesus is not just a mere mortal man. He is the God-man, fully God, second person of the Trinity, and co-creator and sustainer of all things. He was there at the beginning with the Father and the Spirit, and he's intimately involved in the ongoing work of God right now. He is the cause of all creation. But more than that, he's also the cause of God's new creation, the church. Look at verses 18 to 20 with me. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Not not only does Jesus stand over all of creation as the ruler of everything, but he stands as the ruler of the church as well. He's the head, the, the chief operating officer of the gathered people of God. He is in charge of it. He's the head over the universal church, that is, every Christian throughout space and time. He's also in charge of the local church, the church in Colossae and the church of the Advent. While we have our new dean and rector, Craig only serves at the pleasure of the King, Jesus Christ, who is the head of this church. And this is because he started, he birthed it by rising to to new life from the dead. And here again, Paul uses this metaphor of firstborn, And this time referring to Jesus' priority in the new creation. Through his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has passed through death and become the first person of the new creation. The church is made up of all those who, like him by the power of the Holy Spirit, will rise to new life again. One theologian writes, Both church and creation are in Christ, and the destiny of each is inextricably bound together because of and for him. Well, if you haven't got the message yet, Paul brings it home. 
Jesus is preeminent in everything from creation to new creation and all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell on him and through him to reconcile everything through the blood shed, his blood shed on the cross. Now, if Jesus brought reconciliation and peace, that assumes that previously there was not peace and reconciliation. There was alienation and war. And this is the clear testimony of the Bible. That from Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and his rule over their life, all of creation in heaven and on earth have been alienated from God. And from that time on, all of heaven and earth have been waiting for, have been longing for a time when everything would be brought back together, reconciled back to God, when everything would be made right. And finally, through Jesus' death on the cross, it has been done. Through the shedding of his innocent blood for the sins of the whole world, there is complete and utter reconciliation. Now, we still wait for that reconciliation to be revealed when Jesus returns, but this has begun in God's people by the power of the Holy Spirit, And this is what Paul goes on to explain in verses 21 to 23, where Paul concludes that Jesus is also the cause of our salvation. Look at these verses again with me. Verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The Colossians were once those who were enemies against God, alienated from him, hostile in their minds towards him. But this is not only describing them, it describes every human being that has ever existed. I don't know what you think of when you hear the term alienated, I've been, heavily, I've been heavily influenced by Hollywood, so when I think of aliens, I think of, you know, green bubble-headed monsters with lanky arms and legs and pointing their fingers. Um, but this is not what Paul is thinking about. The alienation that he's writing about is relationships. It's about social exclusion rather than extraterrestrial beings. However, these things, they're closely related. We call them aliens because they are different from us. They are separated from us because they live on a different planet. I myself am an, I'm a resident alien. I'm a natural-born citizen of a different country than the one I currently reside in, separated from my family and my own people. Part of my family. Part of my family lives here as well. But this is how it is with us and God. Because of our sin, we have a broken relationship with God, which means we are separated from him, we are alienated from him, excluded from him. We can't enjoy his presence anymore. And you might be thinking to yourself, that seems a little bit extreme. Alienation, hostility, evil deeds. I don't feel hostile towards God. I don't feel like I do evil deeds. And yet this is the truth. All of us are natural-born sinners, born into the domain of darkness, as Paul talks about earlier in this passage. Though we might know that there is a God without the Holy Spirit's work within us, we suppress that truth and choose to ignore him. We fail to honour him and give him the thanks that he rightly deserves. And we can do this in very explicit ways, can't we? By worshipping physical idols and so-called gods... But usually it's more subtle than that. 
Often it's through taking the good things that God has created and provided for us and making them ultimate things. Putting our trust in the things of this world that were created by and through and for Jesus. We so badly want control in our life, so much so that we put ourselves in the place of God. And we're so easily influenced by the world, which tells us that even if there is a God, we can't trust him and we definitely don't need him. The modern mind believes that we can gain wisdom and truth by our own means, that we can become like God as we become the judges of what is good and true and beautiful. And all of this sin separates us from God. But the good news is, well, look at verse 22 with me. He has now reconciled the Colossians and all those who put their faith in Christ in his body of flesh by his death. This is so that we might be holy and blameless and above reproach before God our Father. Notice that we have not reconciled ourselves, but Jesus has reconciled us. He is the cause of our salvation. As another commentator notes, our rescue from the domain of darkness is certain and lasting because God has accomplished it through none other than the one who is Lord of the universe. Now, verse 23 comes as a warning to the Colossians and to you and to me who are tempted to follow after those false gods, tempted to put our trust and our faith and our hope in created things rather than the Creator. Well, it seems like verse 23 undoes all that we've just been talking about. How can our salvation be so certain and lasting because God has accomplished it through Jesus and yet at the same time, so foolishly based on our ability to continue in the faith. We need to understand that Paul is not talking about our efforts to stay in the faith, but rather he's talking about our dependence on God. In the Christian life, you will be tempted to base your salvation on how you're going. You'll be tempted to believe false teaching. That's what the book of Colossians is mostly about. So this comes as a real warning to us that we should remain dependent on God for our salvation and nothing else. Remaining stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And this, it is this same gospel that has been proclaimed throughout the whole of creation, which Paul is so confident in that he made himself a servant of it. So who is Jesus? That's the question this morning. He's the cause of all creation. He's the cause of the church. And he's the cause of your salvation. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is no other name in heaven that can be found through whom we are redeemed and through whom God's grace abounds. No other name can save but Jesus Christ our Lord. So let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that uh, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to save us, to rescue us, to reconcile us and the whole of creation back to you. Father, we long for the day when that will be fully revealed, but until that day comes, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, that we might hold fast to you. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.